first week, we had discussed Paul's call to the apostleship, because that's what he starts out by having to defend himself to the Galatian church. Then he talks about his contact with the disciples and the fact that they approved of him. Uh, then last week, he talks about how that, uh, how that he how he has to defend you know the gospel and how to defend it and that he has an accurate description of the gospel of course he talks about how that not being able to put yourself back under the law using circumcision and stuff like that and baptism as an example of that and then he goes ahead and talks uh, about you know how that he had to deal with peter because peter was an error over it and how that he chastised him over that putting setting himself up for why he is a moral authority so in chapter 3, we're going to start out, and he's going to start out by proclaiming that justification is by faith and faith only. That's it. There's nothing else. It's just faith. So we're going to start in Galatians, the third chapter, first verse. Um, we're going to go. O foolish Galatians, who hath betwitched you, that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. This is the this is basically the, to say that sentence in the way we would say today is if there's one thing I hope you'd learn and one thing I'd like to ask you, it's do you believe you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So in three he says are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are ye now made perfect by the flesh? So if you started in the Spirit, how, is the, how, how are you then made perfect in the flesh? How does that work? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? We therefore that ministereth in the, to you the Spirit, and works miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Okay, now, the reason why this is important is because he's making the point that Abraham, when he was still in a pagan land, believed God. Did what he told him. God told him to move out of Ur. He moved out of Ur. God told him this. He does, he does what he has to say. I mean, he, he was consistent with that. He was consistently working with that and doing the right thing. And it's obvious that it was the faith that was accounted to him. Now, we'll go to Romans 4, and we'll look at it in Romans 4 just to see how that, this is Paul talking again about Abraham in much the same way, but it's a little bit more detailed in what exactly he's, he's the point that it was Abraham's faith and not his works that he did. 4 says, What shall we say then that Abraham, Romans 4, verse 1, What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by faith, by works, he hath therefore a glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him to righteousness. Now to him that works in the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessed of the man 
under whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised. So he had the circumcision to prove as a seal in a covenant that he already had faith when he was uncircumcised. We'll continue on in 11. That he might be the father of all them that believe. Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Now, what the point of this is, is just that, that how can it be at my works of the law? How can it be even be, again, and the reason why Paul is, is, is zeroing down on circumcision is, is very, very important here. And it's, it goes through it again later in Galatians. But just as a forebearer, the only, God didn't ask Abraham to particularly do anything that we would think of as the law. He didn't ask him for any of that. Abraham, he just told Abraham what was going to happen. He worked with Abraham through the Sodom of War and stuff like that and dealing with Lot. He worked with him and told him, you know, you're going to have a child when he's older. All of this, you know, it happens. All of that goes on and it happens before he was even circumcised, before that was even happened. We're going to jump to Genesis 15 so we can point out how this works. So Genesis 15. And you might want to put, uh, and get ready because we're going to go to 17 after this, just to make a point. But Genesis 15, very beginning, only a couple of chapters into your Bible. So, Genesis 15. Genesis 15 says, After these things, first one, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram, in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is, Eliezer, is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed. Lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. See, at the time, it was set to where that if, and they, this continued into the, the way that the um, into the Jewish, uh, into the law and the Torah, actually. But what happened was, is if you didn't have a, a child or a child, but you had somebody who was a servant, not a slave, but a servant who was living among you, his oldest child that was born in your house would be your heir for that. So Eliezer evidently had the oldest child that was born in his house while he was living there. So and that, that upset him only because he didn't have an heir, and he'd be, he was told he would have an heir. So that was the point. That's why he left Ur was to go out and build a nation. So how can you do that without a child? But it says in four, and behold, the Lord of the word, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, "This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels, shall be thine heir." And he brought him forth abroad and said, "Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them." And he said unto him, "So shall thine seed be." And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. 
<clears throat> and he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees, and to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took one unto him of these things, and he divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the bird, birds he divided he not. And then the fowls came down upon the carcass. Abraham drove them away. These, you know, buzzards. When the fowls came down on the carcass, Abraham drove them away. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and lo, a horror, a great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out of this with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation shall they shall come hither again, and the inquiry, iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So this is one of the things I like to point out, is that evidently the Amorites were doing something that God, I guess, God wanted or something, because the Amorites were an evil people. But at this point, God's saying, listen, Abraham, you're not going to just get to take over the land now because the Amorites, their iniquity is not full yet. They don't need to be expunged from the land because they're completely moralless and wicked. But in 400 years will be the time for you to do this. And he also said, and I'm going to use this time to actually help set up the nation. So what he's doing is he's saying, when they go into the nation, when they leave, they'll get stuff. Well, they did. The Egyptians gave them all kinds of stuff, all kinds of you know, gold and, and various things that set them up as a nation so that when they went in, they had all kinds of things they wouldn't have had otherwise. It was easier for them. And I guess we'll just we'll finish this up. It just says, 17 says, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I seen this land. For from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The river of Egypt is not talking about the Nile. It is talking about the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, actually, in the north. The Sea of Reeds in the north. Sinai Peninsula in the north. So that is from the river of Egypt under the great river, the river Euphrates. And he just tells them that the Kenites and the Kenzazites and the Kedmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Raphaim and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. They say in all that land, every one of them will be expunged from the land and it will be yours. Now, the point is, is that's where he made the covenant. He makes a covenant with them that all this will have, will have that. Now jump to 17. Genesis 17. So 17 comes after 15, correct? And at this point, Genesis is telling everything in order. So 17 says, verse 1, And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall my name, shall thy name be any more called Abram, which Abram just means like a father, means something one like a father figure, you know, it's father, but it doesn't have to be, whatever. And then it says, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations, having, have I made thee. 
And Abraham means an actual father, but he's a father of many, many descendants. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and I seed after thee and, the, and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and thy seed after thee. Now, the reason why this is an everlasting covenant, remember, were they in the land forever? No, they got expelled several times. So obviously he's not saying that though that, but the generations still exist. And even beyond that, the everlasting covenant mentioned there, that is a foreshadowing of the fact that eventually Christ would come and all nations of the world would be considered as sons, uh, you know, Abraham's offspring and seed, and therefore an everlasting covenant. It'll continue. It'll just keep continuing. Jeremiah actually says that, that the new covenant is not a new covenant as that, as so much as it is a renewing of the original covenant. So it's making the original covenant better. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abram, Thou shalt keep my covenant. Therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations, this is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt you and me, me and you. And he that is of eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child of your generations. He that is born in the house or brought bought with money of any stranger, which is not thy seed. He that is born in the house and he that is bought with the money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So, 99 years old is when he got Abraham got. Nine years earlier was when this other thing in the Genesis 5, 15 happened. So, was Moses, or was Abraham circumcised and that's what got him saved? No. Did he follow any law or anything? No. He believed God. He was faithful for it. Now, I was going to go into James, but I'm going to skip James only because I was just going to go and talk about how a lot of people will bring up the fact that James refers to that faith and works and the whole thing. The problem is you have to understand with that is that James is not talking about, he, he's not saying that you need to have faith, works to get saved. Read the first chapter of James sometime. Read all of James. It's a great book. He's referencing the fact that if you are saved, you will have works. That's how it, that's just, that's just how it works. It really is. It's, it's, I don't know. It, it's one of those things, it, it, it kind of bothers me because a lot of people make this thing about they, the things. It's just, if you really love your wife or your children or whatever, don't you do things for them? I mean, isn't that how you show? Love is a verb. It's something you do towards somebody. You show them your love. You 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 can't always do things, and you can't do it perfectly, but you do attempt it, right? So, and why? Just because you just have a love. You want to do good things for them. You want to. It's just what you do. Now, if you don't do it, do suddenly is is. I mean, maybe you have this kind of relationship. I don't know. But if you don't do something. Is love just automatically? Well, I mean, they might, if they're, they're well, you don't love me, you wouldn't do this. 
But do you really? Yeah, of course you have problems. Maybe you just didn't do something one time. Or you didn't do it because you're tired or whatever. There's a time you didn't do something for somebody. Maybe you just weren't paying attention. You didn't realize they wanted it. Whatever the case may be. That doesn't mean that you don't love them simply because you didn't do something here or there. And maybe you just messed up. But because you love them, you're going to want to do things. You want to see them. You want to see your children happy. You want to see your wife happy. You want to see these things. This is this is human emotions. How humanity works. You want to see your kids laugh. You want that's why Christmas is so hard for some people because they have money and they want to just give the kid everything they ever wanted, and it's like the kids never satisfied. Yeah, because they have too much. But you can't help it because you want to see them laugh. You want to hear that laugh. You want to see them happy. Why? Because you love them. Because you love them. That's how it. That's just how it works. And so this thing where it's like, oh, well, because, you know, oh, well, it, James says that you'll have works. Of course you'll have works because of the spirit. Not, it doesn't get you saved as, as a whole rabbit trail. But the point is, is as it says in, in Romans 4, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So what it's saying in James is, is that the reason why Abraham was willing to do the work of offering up his son to sacrifice on the altar is because he believed God. No matter what, whether he'd raise him from the dead or how it was going to work, he believed that God said that he was going to have offspring, so he, he, many nations. So he just, he believed it. So he did it because he believed strong enough. Now, the point of this whole thing is like that. If a person is saying I believe in God, and I don't do any works. That's what he's saying. If a person's making it like that, saying it like that, saying, I believe in God, and I have no works. I don't do anything. He's saying, can that faith save him? Meaning, if you really believe God, what God says, which God says, what does God say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the commandments. That's it. If you really believed in God then you believe those commandments. You have to, because that's what the commandments are. That's what it is. God says, believe in me. Well, even that, Abraham, oh, he believed God. Believe God what? That God would save him. That God had. That God would be there for him. You have to, it's not just believing there is a God. It's believing that God is good and he's for you and he wants to save you. That's, that's what the belief is. So it's not just believing God in general. It, it has, it's the believing faith. A believing faith. Well, what is is that? Because can that faith save him? Can you just say, well, I know of God. I know there is a God. Because if you're saying, I believe what God says, you can't say that because if you believe what God says, he's telling you to love people. That's what he's saying. So how can that faith, which says you believe God, but you don't do what he says, save someone? John, in the in the epistles, you know, the his first John... He would argue that's not. If you do not do his commandments, you do not believe God, no matter what. That's impossible. So, moving on, because we spent way too much time on this first part here. Way, way too much time. Um, I'm going to have to... I don't know if I can move through this fast enough, but... <laughs> anyway, so we're going to go to Galatians. Back to Galatians 3, and we're going to start in verse 10. Galatians 3.10. And... Yeah, I just, okay, everybody's there? Okay, back, all right, good. So Galatians 3.10 says, For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse. So for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. 
that's because the way Paul sees it is the law was actually a curse because it opened your eyes to sin. And now that you knew sin, that means you're guilty of sin. If you didn't even know you were sinning before, then you're not guilty of it because you don't know. But if once you know about the sin, you're guilty of it. So, as for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every, everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Now, we're going to stop right there because that's important. That's very important because if you, if we're going to, let's just jump to Romans 7, verse 9 and 10 for a second. He says, in 7, 9 to 10, he says, for I, if for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. Again, what he's saying is when he learned the law, he realized just how sinful he was. He can't claim ignorance in, in, in anymore. He is guilty, and he knows he's guilty. And so it became as death to him because he knew his guiltiness. That's why he was so, Paul was so zealous is because he knew how dirty and how guilty he was, and he needed to be, felt like he needed to work it, work it off, basically. So... Let's move, keep moving. So, because Deuteronomy, uh, Romans 10 also refers to this. It says, uh, Romans 10, verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, is close to thee, even in your mouth, my mouth, and in my heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with thine heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, again, the point of this is that he's saying you need, all you need is to, to believe. And if you believe, your mouth will confess it. And you confess it, that's how you, have, you know you have the salvation. So, it's faith. It always is. Uh, and, and Paul's going, and all this stuff that does, Paul, when he, in Romans 7, all, he's talking about, he's, he's quoting the Old Testament, because Deuteronomy 27 actually says, Cursed be he that confirms not all the words of this law to do them, and all people shall say, Amen. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee to this day, that the Lord thy God shall set thee high above all nations on the earth. See, he's saying, if you're going to do the commandments, you have to do them all. And you have to do them perfect. That's it. If you believe you can get saved by the law, then you have to do them all. Now, if you're not saying that, if you don't, if you believe that it is faith, that's great because that's where your salvation is. He goes, but what is the purpose of the law then? 
purpose of the law is there. That very next part, that's actually 28, the 28th verse, 20, chapter 28 in the first verse. He says that if it comes to pass, if you listen diligently to the words and you do follow the law, that he will set you high above the nations on the earth. Meaning, what is it? It's growth. It's it's living a good life. It's what I said last week, where it's, it's all about living. The, the law will help you live a better life. So, we're going to go back to Galatians 3, and we're going to do 12, where it says, uh, And the law is not faith, but man that does them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. See, that's 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 exactly you know how it works. That you know Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. I Meaning, we were, the law points out our sin. How would he get saved? Through faith in Christ. Christ made a way. And he, how did he do that? He made himself a curse. A man who knew no sin became sin. And that's the reason why he had to be hung on the cross. He had to. Because check this out. Check this out. Let's go to um, let's go to Rome, uh, Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy 21. And Deuteronomy 21 is... Uh, Yeah, all right. Deuteronomy 21, it's talking about... Uh, Deuteronomy is, for anybody who doesn't know, it's the second telling of the law, basically. And so basically, Moses went through once one last time before he dies and just kind of like restates the stuff and they take things that he'd said throughout his life. Um, but so 21 is talking about how to like solve unsolved murders. How do you deal with that? And female captives and how do you deal with them best and all this. How to deal with the rebellious son, the one who starts, you know, uh, going off and worshiping idols and doing all these different things. So, 20, and, and, and if you look at in, in Deuteronomy 21, if we go to 22, it says, If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. So think about that. Think about that. It says that, you know, if a man commits a sin worthy of death and he'd be to be put to death and you hang him, you, then you hang him on a tree. So if you do, there's only a couple things that were really worthy of death in the Old Testament. Um, basically, it's things like cannibalism and and sacrificing people to idols and to other gods uh, and things like that. Even the ones about the, 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 the child and everything. The child has to be doing like, like that, going and doing like wild orgies to dead gods and stuff like that. If that's what he's doing, then, you know, you, you kill him. Now, if they're worthy of the death, being put to death, then you hang him on a tree. But if you put him on it, his body will not remain there overnight. You shall likewise bury him that day. For that if he hangs on the tree, he is cursed of God, that they that, that the land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God give thee for inheritance. See, that's why Jesus had to be hung on a cross like that, is because he took on all sin. He had to he had to come, he had to take a death that was would atone for the worst of sins. See, your sin might not be that bad. Maybe the worst sin you ever did was stealing bubble gum or something like that. If that's the case, then God bless you because my sins are terrible. But if that's the that's all it is, then okay, fine. But he had to, so he's going to take yours. 
But he also has to take the punishment for the murderer. He also has to take the punishment for whatever the you know the person who who, who raped and murdered twenty people who, were and and if they truly truly were redeemed at the end of their lifetime, he had to take that on himself as well. So a person who's guilty of murder, he had to take all of it. Well, why? So then, what's the what's the punishment? You kill him, hang him on a tree, but then you take him off before sundown. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. A little another side note um, about this: if you want to go look in Joshua in the tenth chapter, there actually is like a little parallel because Joshua in the in the Hebrew is uh, Yahoshua, and that's the long form of Christ's name in Hebrew as well, Yahoshua or Yeshua in Aramaic. But it says. Because like that, it's a when they were dealing with uh, uh, they're 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 you know Joshua was having to take out some kings and some evil kings and stuff like that, and deal with these people, and he uh had this situation where you know he's he's going to uh yeah these he's trying to take out this group and they go ahead and they hide in a cave, the five kings they go and they hide in a cave. So after that, you know, they have to, they have to get him. They take him, they kill him. Then they hang him on a tree. And then after he gets hanging on the tree, it says, and it came to pass at the time of going down to the sun that Joshua commanded that they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid, been hid and laid a great stones in front of the mouth, cave's mouth, which remains there until this day. Isn't that amazing how that after they got put on the tree, they got thrown into a cave and a stone rolled in front of it it's an interesting little parallel isn't it <laughs> those are just those little things i i like uh so we're gonna go back to galatians we're gonna start in 15 uh, verse 15 galatians 3 verse 15 and it says brethren i speak after the manner of men though it be but a man's cup co- though it be but a man's covenant yet if it be confirmed no man this annuls or adds thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is of no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So here's here's the, the shakedown of this. It's that he's saying, brethren, I'm speaking to you after the manner of men. Meaning I'm, ta- I'm talking to you, you know, though it be a man's covenant, yet it be confirmed. No man disannuls or adds thereto. Meaning man can't change this. Man can't do anything to it. It's God when it was between God and Abraham. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to his seeds, meaning he didn't say many, and Abraham had many seeds, if you want to do it that way, because he, he had, you know, Ishmael, he had Isaac, and then he, he after he after Sarah died, he married again, and he continued having, and he had six more male children with that one. And all of them became decent nations for a period of time. So, I'm talking, you know, he had eight kids and all of which had huge descendants lines. So he doesn't, but God didn't say seeds, he didn't say plural. He said singular, not of many, but as of one and thy seed, which is Christ. 
That was the point when Paul, when, when he does that in, in Genesis 22, Genesis 20, when we look at these, God says, and thy seed and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hath obeyed my voice. See, he's saying through thy seed, meaning one who comes down through the lineage, Christ, all nations of the earth will be blessed. We are. We all have seen the glory of Christ and what it's done to our world to make things. Right now, everybody being lifted out of poverty like they have. We are living in a world that has been, for 2,000 years, been seeing and living in the aftermath of the greatest, of the greatest event in human history. Uh, that is the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ as a man. God himself as a man. We're living in the aftermath of that. And, and it, all nations, every people, people in all different nations on the earth, they're Christians. They're blessed through it. And even that, people who aren't Christians are still blessed because of all the innovations that, the, that we have done over the years and all the great things that have happened. So he, that's the point he's saying. And the thing is, again, and when 17, if you look at how it says that this and the covenant that was confirmed of God in Christ, he's saying is confirmed that of God in Christ, the law, the law, he's saying Christ confirmed it all the way back then which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. Meaning, how could he possibly have given this promise to Moses when the law didn't come for 430 years later? He tells, he, he, think about it. People are saying, well, we have to get back on the law. And, you know, and, and, and people who are uh, like, like a messianic Jewish type of congregation, they would say, oh, we need to follow the Torah. Why? God gave the promise. God gave the covenant to Abraham before he did anything, and just to make it even more clear, that there wasn't even a law given for 430 years. How could that? How could Abraham possibly have followed a, the law in any way? Not even. And we've seen it. It was nine years later was when he got circumcised. So it wasn't even. It was years after. The, but the promise was always good. Once God makes His promise, He does not go back on it. So God's side, of the promise was good. It was always there. It was always put through that. So, that's, you know, that's, it, 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 things like that, I guess we just don't think about them because, you know, in the Bible, it just, it goes so quickly from thing to thing. But to realize how much time passed between Abraham and Moses, 430 years. So it's obvious that that's not where, what was in view. So we're going to, try and hurry this. I hope I can get this done and get us out of here in time. But Galatians 3, 19 to 25. So Galatians 3, 19, we're going to stop at 25 because I don't have time to finish the chapter. We'll do that next week. Galatians 3, 9 to 25. Wherefore then serves the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, Jesus Christ, shall come to whom the promise made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, before we continue, I'm going to have us read 1 Timothy 2, 4 through 6, because this is about, we're going to have to get into one of the most difficult, Paul says a lot of difficult things. We've already seen in this chapter, it is so difficult, some of the things that are said. But we're about to read one of the most difficult passages out there. So flip to 1 Timothy 2 for me. 1 Timothy 2. Go towards the back. And verses 4 to 6, it says, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 
So for there is one mediator. There is one God. God is one. We, we, we worship a triune God. You know, he's a trinity. Triune. There's three, but it's one. It's one God, but there's three personages. And we're talking from eternity past till this moment. There's always been a threeness to it, to the Godhead. But it's always been one God. They are in perfect unison. And this is gonna, this blows my mind. It blows my mind how this works. I don't. I still. I don't think anybody really ever gets it because we can't get it because God is so different. God is so other than us. We can't understand how this works. But the way it works that we've been told is that there is one God. He is one. But there is the Father the Word, and the Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. There are three personages. They reveal in three distinct personalities. They have three distinct personalities. But they are all equal. And they are all equally God. One God. One God between the three of them. All together in one. They're one God. They're always in perfect agreement with each other. Perfect alignment. In, in eternity past, they were in perfect agreement with each other at all times. Even though they had three distinct personalities, they're one. It's a triune God. And like I said, that blows your mind, but that's how it is. It's just one of those things that it's, it's tough. But that's, that's the God we serve. He is so unlike us and so other, we can't even imagine what it's like, what he is like. So that's why we're not allowed to make graven images. That's why we're not allowed to make any sort of Thing to try and be what God is because God is so other. He's so much greater. He's so much more beautiful. He's so much more pure. He's so pure. There's nothing on this earth, above this earth, or under this earth that could possibly match him in majesty. And therefore, to make an image of God is to belittle him, is to bring him down, is to denigrate his greatness because he is so much better. He is so much bigger. He is so much more beautiful and perfect that we can't even consider we can't even imagine making anything as brilliant a white as amazing as you know as pure as god and so but god is everlasting however and he lives outside of this universe in eternity but jesus christ injected himself as a second in the trinity so there's three there's the first the trinity the father the second the word and the third is the spirit the second, the word and the spirit, they injected themselves into this universe when they created it. They actually, that's why it says he's the firstborn of all creation. Because when he created the earth, his first creative act was injecting himself into his own creation so that he can experience and, and, and deal with us. So he is in his own, he injected himself into his own creation, the second in the Trinity. So there is one God and the mediator is the second in the Trinity. And what what the second in the Trinity do? He came down at one point and took on a man as a man. But basically, came down and was born as a man. So we have the second in the Trinity, the Jesus Christ. Before he was born as Christ, he still existed. He wasn't Jesus Christ though. He was the second in the Trinity. He was he was the Word of God, the Word of of the Lord. And therefore, he's always been. He actually was in the desert. When, when Moses was on that mountain and there was a pillar of fire there and he's talking to God and God's using the fire to, to carve out the law, that was the second in the Trinity doing that. That was, that was Jesus. Because Jesus says in the New Testament, before the beginning of the world, I am. He's telling him, I am. He says it over and over again. I am. 
He is the I am of the Bible, of the Old Testament. He is that God of the Old Testament. Jesus is the one and the same. He's just the human form. He is, he is that God come down into human form. So, when Moses was talking to him, so who wrote the covenant out? Who wrote, who wrote the, the law out? It was Jesus. There was a second in the Trinity, the Word of God. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Those three are one. But, but, God, but God made it to where that the second is the mediator between. And now, as a man, there's only one man that mediates. And that's Christ Jesus. That's it. Now, with that being, that difficult thing, thought being there, let's go back and we'll start in 19. Galatians 3.19. We'll say, Wherefore then serves the law? So for what reason is the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed shall come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. I'll say that again. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. That's, what? What, it, <laughs> what he's saying is, God sent a mediator down. But the mediator is not a person. It is not as of one, as in a person. So the mediator is, was, not, was sent down, the law was sent down, but it was not of one because God is one. It was, it was not the mediator. The mediator is not a person. The mediator is God. This is an important thing to consider. And this is, this is kind of, a, uh, not many people preach it this way. Or, or describe it this way, but the mediator that was sent down on Mount Sinai was the Torah. The Torah is the Word of God, written by the Second in the Trinity, the Word of God. The mediator was the law. It wasn't Moses, it was the law. So, God said, it's a good thing about it. What was the, what's the purpose of the law? The people were transgressing. As soon as they got out of Egypt, they were complaining about what being out of Egypt. They're complaining about not having enough food. He gave them, you know, he gave them manna from heaven that they didn't even have to do anything with. They had to pick it up and eat it. And they complained about that. And so he gave them quail. And they complained that all they got to eat was quail and manna from heaven. And they just would not stop. They were just, they were sinful. They were, every time they got a chance, they'd be sleeping with prostitutes and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so, why did God add the law? Because of their transgressions. He needed something that would guide them in the meantime, between the time until Christ would come. So, what was the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed, Christ, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. But not a mediator, now a mediator is not a mediator of one, not a man, but God. Why? Christ, the, the law is and Christ are one. They're the word of God. And that's why Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. And so the law literally was just put in place until Christ could confirm it and feel it perfectly. 21 says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been, had, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness would have been by the law. 
But the scripture has concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Therefore the law was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we now we are no longer under a schoolmaster. See? See what happened there? But that it was because of that, it, you know, twenty two is about you know, we, we we are all under sin. We're all sinful. So God needed to put somebody as a schoolmaster to teach us of our sin. So who what'd he do? He gave us the law to show us that we're sinful. Why? Because he needed to do that until the Holy Spirit would come. Until he would fulfill it, the Holy Spirit would come and work on our behalf as the law in our hearts. See, and it says right there, therefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. It always was. The law, even in the Old Testament, you got saved by faith. The law was just works. It was because God wanted to live and dwell among these people, among the nation, among the Israelites. And yet they, he can't dwell among dirty people. So he needed to give them something to clean themselves up. He needed to give them something to clean themselves up, to deal with it, to atone for themselves. So that they could meet, so that they, again, the law, you follow the law perfectly, you kill the bulls, you do all this stuff like that, and then you go and you petition God and you do that. That's the mediator. It's the go-between. It's the thing that makes it to where they can then petition God. Well, we now, Christ has done away with that. He's the perfect Lamb of God that, that takes away the sin. So now Christ is that mediator. He is the reason why we can talk to God freely now. So it, it literally, the, the Torah was, was the word of God. It is an embodiment of God. And it was there to teach us. Now, one of the ways that I'm going to use this to, to show that, the, the, that that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the law as the mediator. The Torah was the mediator. I'm going, we're going to jump to um, Luke chapter 20. And I'm going to show you, this is a parable that Jesus spoke. This is a parable that Jesus had spoken that actually explains this. See, I'm going to just tell you that because of how I said that, I'm just going to tell it straight up. How I was saying that, you know, the, 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 the mediator is the law. It's the word of God. Christ, you know, it, it was the, 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 the thing that was in place for Christ. One of the ways we can see this is there is a shadow of this in the Old Testament because the law came to the people, to, to the, the Hebrews, the Jews, Three separate times. See, Moses was not the one. Was not the one who's talking about. He's not the mediator. Nobody was the mediator. But the thing is, the law came to Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus. You know, in 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 in, in uh, what Exodus thirty two or whatever. So, and he brings it down, and he brings the law to the people. But of course, already they were already, by the time he got down there, they were already doing the golden calf stuff. So what happened? Moses threw it down and broke it. So they treated that law terribly. But it was delivered to them once. The, the person who brought it down was Moses. But the law is the servant. Not Moses. The law is the servant. The Torah is the servant. That is worth referencing in this parable we're about to talk about. So, that's the mediator. Then it was brought again by Josiah. King Josiah in 2 Kings 22. He was, he was a righteous king. He took over the kingship at the age of 8. And for the first 10 years, it was somebody else ran the king form, kingship form. And then at 18, he decided he was going to go ahead and attempt to rebuild and remodel the, the temple. Well, 
as they're going, they find that the scroll of the law, and you know, sitting in the one room, and they read it and go, oh, this, and they bring it to Josiah. Josiah reads it, and he tears his clothes, and he goes, you know, we've been praising God all wrong all this time. We need to bring this out. So he gathers the people. He has it spoken to him. He brings it to him. They break down their their altars and stuff like he goes through a whole mission breaks on all the altars, but the people never really, it says they, they partook of the eating of the bread and the, and the festivities and the fast, but in their hearts, they said they were not going to take, they were not going to follow. They were actually one of their old, old gods and their old pagan practices. The third time is Ezra, Nehemiah eight, Ezra, Nehemiah eight is that. So Nehemiah verse chapter eight, and then like five is when he comes down, but Ezra, Ezra brought it again. They, they were in Babylon. Remember the scroll of the Torah, Jeremiah and Jeremiah three, he took in Jeremiah took the ark, the showbread and the table and the Torah scrolls. And he hid them in a cave so that when Nebuchadnezzar sacked and tore down the temple, they wouldn't be, he wouldn't be able to take those and put them in a pagan, in a pagan temple. So he took the showbread and the table and the, uh, the ark of the covenant. And he took the uh, Torah scroll and he hit him. So, Ezra needed to come one, so Ezra bring, come and bring the bring it back. So he goes ahead and comes back, and with the with the with the law. So they wrote it. They brought a bunch of people together. They said, you know, tell us what do you remember the school. They brought it all back and through God's divine providence, wrote rewrote the Torah out. And Ezra brings it back to Nehemiah and to, to Jerusalem. Tells it they have this great thing. They feast. They fast. They have all this stuff. And so that's the third time. That's the third time. And the covenant is the servants. So I'm. Saying that because when we read this parable, the, 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 the Torah is the servants. So Luke 20 and chapter 20 and verse 9 says, Then began he to speak to the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard and let it for, lent it forth to husbandmen. Those are gardeners. That gar, husbandmen specifically refers to people who do grapes. But <clears throat> uh, he lent it to husbandmen, gardeners, and went into a far country for a long time. And at the season, he sent a servant to the husbandmen that they should give him of the fruits of the vineyard. But the husbandmen beat him and sent him away empty. That's the first time he sent the law. And again, he sent another servant and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully and sent him away empty. And again, he sent a third and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be they will reverence him when they see him. But when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? He shall come and destroy these husbandmen, and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid. And he beheld them and said, what is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but whosoever it shall fall, I will it will grind him to powder. That's the story of that. That's God sent down the Torah, the law, and said, "This is your mediator. You need to follow it." And they treated it poorly. Under Moses, they treated it poorly. Josiah, likewise, brought it a second time to him. It's the second servant. And he said, and said it to that set, brought it to him again. And they treated it shamefully. And they didn't, they never, they never wanted to follow it. Ezra brought it to him again. 
and they cast him out. They said, nope, we don't want it. reason why that's even there is because they wounded him and sent him out. reason why that was is because that's where when, when Ezra brought it back to him, they, he reads it and they say they want all the right things. They say they want to follow it, but they didn't have an ark in the Holy of Holies. They built the new temple. They didn't put an ark in there. The ark is the footstool of God. It's the mercy seat. It's the one place where the, the righteousness of God came down and met us. It met people in the Holy of Holies. So that means all that time, the 480-something years, 83 years that the that the, the, um, the, the temple, the second temple was around, there was never an Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Therefore, the, pre the presence of God was never there. And Jeremiah says they will never even come to their mind. Jeremiah 3 says they'll never even come to their mind that they don't have the Ark or they would even need the Ark. Think about that. It never even occurred to them that the one thing they're supposed to be doing, which is they're supposed to be doing all these sacrifices and all this stuff at the temple, because God's presence is supposed to come down and dwell among them there. Well, how does it come down? It comes down and it sits on the mercy seat, which is the ark. And they don't even have it. And they don't even think they need it. That's why they need that's why it's shameful. That's why it's they treat him shamefully, they beat him, send him away. But then he sent his son himself. That's the son means he is of the same essence, the second in the Trinity. Jesus Christ is talking about himself here. He's saying he sent me. But you guys, the husbandmen are the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the people that are following. And so what happened? Caiaphas and these guys, the, the, guy, the priests, they reasoned among themselves, well, if, we, if, he is, if he is the Messiah, see, they thought the Messiah was going to come back and conquer and set up a kingdom. They said, if he is the Messiah, we can kill him now before he amasses an army, and then we can just keep the inheritance. We can just keep doing what we're doing. We keep building the people for money. Just keep this little scheme we got going, and we'll live, go, exist forever. So they killed Christ. They killed the Christ. But guess what? Christ said, I am the stone that the builders will reject, but I am the cornerstone that of which the, it is supposed to be built on. The entire thing is built on me, but they're going to reject me. He says, whoever falls upon a stone will be broken. If you fall down and land on a large stone, you'll be broken. He said, but whoever I shall fall upon, I will grind him to powder. And guess what? In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed and taken and completely down to nothing they took and dragged the the uh the, the stones away and went and built the roman Colosseum, where many many horrors and atrocities were committed they literally took down the, 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 the temple of god and made it into a graveyard where they murdered people and animals and did all kinds of debauchery out of why because god is fulfilling what jesus this is a prophecy of jesus he said you reject me you're going to kill me and they said god forbid he goes no you're going to do it and you're going to reject me. But I am the cornerstone of all salvation. He goes, I am the means of all salvation. He goes, and whoever falls upon a stone will just be broken. Meaning, if you, 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 you transpass the law, you'll be broken. You'll live a terrible life if you do that. But whoever I fall upon, my wrath, I will grind you to powder. And that's what he did. And he dispersed. He dispersed the people completely out of the land. And he gave it to another. And for thousands of years... Jerusalem was just desolate, and there were all kinds of other people that went through it. Of course, we know the Arabs went in and built a mosque right there. And so that was that's what this parable is. It's referring to the fact that God sent a, a, a mediator, the law, down to people three times, but they never wanted it. And then he himself came down, the second of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down. And then they saw him, they killed him. And that's the point of all of this the purpose of the law was to hold us because like he said it's like a man who plants a vineyard meaning he creates this this nation and then he says okay i'm giving you a steward 
He's given them the law, but they don't want the law. They don't want to do this. They reject it. So that's that's the, what we're seeing here. And that's one of the things that's really important to look at is that, again, it was a schoolmaster. It was here to explain to us of our sin that we would, we would understand why we need God. That's what the law is. It shows us our sin so we, could, we know that it's there so that we know we need a God. That's the reason why, and God wrote it on our hearts, but we sear our conscience. So the thing is, it's written on our heart, but we sear our conscience. We do bad things. We can feel it. We can feel that tug and that groan, but we, we've seared our conscience. And so this is just talking about that, that the purpose of the law was to point back to that, point to the fact that we have sin and we need a Savior. That's all it was for. Salvation in the Old Testament was faith in God, Salvation in the New Testament, faith in God, that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. He was born, died, resurrected, sits in heaven, waiting for us to join him. God has saved for prayer.